What is the biggest question that you have ever had to keep? I don't have to think too long and hard about that one. No doubt, the biggest secret I ever had to keep was my plans, my decision to ask Brittany to be my wife. I was so pumped about it. And I, just, I remember like I had the, had the enthusiasm and the anticipation welling up inside of me and I couldn't tell anybody as I was making my preparations. So Brittany's mom and, and her sister were actually, they were getting a little bit anxious for this all to go, go down. So they were dropping hints. They wanted to get planning a wedding as soon as possible. So they kept dropping hints and applying the pressure. And so finally I thought, all right, we, we got to get this, get this ball rolling. So I decided to started developing a, a scheme and uh, so, so with that scheme, first I had to go and, and buy a ring. I went off to the, to the Stratford Mall and, and I remember being in the jewelry store there. I'm like looking over my shoulder at, man, I hope, hope no one who knows me uh, sees me here right now. Otherwise, the, uh, the cat's going to be out of the bag. They're going to know what's up. But I, actually, to be honest, I did tell one person. I, I purchased the ring, brought it home. I was second guessing myself and, and so I showed it to my mom. I was like, oh, what, do you, what do you think? And she kind of confirmed my, uh, what I was thinking about. So I took it back, got a different one. And so there was one person I told the secret to. But, but a part of my plan, I also, I had to, uh, I, I prepared a song and I wrote some lyrics and, and pr prepared it on, on my guitar and I had to be super stealthy with that. I didn't want my younger brothers finding out what I was up to, otherwise they'd be giving me a hard time and, and spreading the word. I had to get a bunch of candles and, and other preparations. I had to keep the secret inside. And, and finally, the big night came. I took Brittany out for, uh, for dinner. We grabbed some things at a store in, in Stratford, went out for dinner. It was nothing, nothing fancy, just uh, fish and chips, nothing fancy at all. She had no idea what was coming until we walked out of the restaurant and I blindfolded her. And in that moment, Brittany's like, ah, okay, something's, something's up. I think I know what Ryan is, is going to do here. So I blindfolded her and proceeded to drive her uh, almost two hours north up to Chesley Lake Camp. And so it was on the, on the dock there, lit a bunch of candles, played my guitar. And I asked Brittany to marry me that, uh, that night. Great evening. She said yes, as, as, you, can, as you can tell as she is now my, my wife. And, and, and so the, the secret, I had the secret building up inside of me. I had, had to keep it for a period of time. And then there was just this rush of joy and, and, and relief and celebration as now the secret was out. She, she knew, she said yes, and now we could begin telling other people. So we, we drove home. Oh, before I proceed, I, I gotta rag on my buddy, buddy Chad here for, for a moment. So let's talk about keeping it a secret. My buddy Chad, he got, he got engaged around roughly the same time. And he didn't keep a secret quite, quite so well. Uh, my wife, Brittany, was with, with Chad's girlfriend at the time. They were hanging out in Chad's car. And in the middle console of the car, uh, he had kept his wedding, his engagement ring. It was, it was in there. He hadn't proposed yet, but he had it hiding in there. Well, well, these two young ladies were in the car just chatting. And, and so they started snooping around. And they discovered the ring. And they threw it in the air. And they screamed. And the cat was out of the bag. Chad was not able to keep, uh, keep his secret. But he proposed later on. And all, all went well. So I just got to rag on Chad there for, for a moment as, as we think about keeping secrets. So Brittany and I got engaged. We drove home. And it was time to tell the secret. It was time to spread the news. We woke up our parents in the middle of the night. We went to her place. We woke up her parents in the middle of the night. Of the night and then the next day we kind of made a rounds visiting people and I'll never forget some good friends of Brittany's that they they screamed and they jumped and it was like my own display of enthusiasm times 10 the whole neighborhood found out but it's because we had this thing that was a secret for so long that now had been made known that we were telling far and wide good secrets are hard to keep 
telling a good secret is a wonderful, wonderful thing. There's nothing quite like it. Before I proceed further with my message, I just want to share that this is the first of our Oikos Sundays with KZMC. And, and so the way this works, you'll be seeing this teaching on Saturday night, perhaps early Sunday morning, and then you're invited to join together with one of our Oikos groups. These are groups of 20 or 30. They're going to be meeting on Zoom in a more interpersonal setting to share with one another kind of what God's been saying to you through the message. And you're going to share, get to know each other, share blessings and challenges in this time. Would love to have you take part. Message us if you, if you want to be a, a part of one of these groups. Just click on the, the Zoom link that you'll find on our Facebook page, our Instagram uh, account. So you click on that, just show up. And there's no pressure. You can sit there and be totally silent the whole time, just kind of settling in. Um, make yourself at home. But these are, we're going to be alternating between Assembly Sundays, everybody together on Zoom, Oikos Sundays in these smaller pockets, just because we want to increase the opportunity for us to be together interacting with each other. So this weekend is an Oikos Sunday. Uh, I'm looking forward to giving that a shot. We'll see how it goes. And uh, please feel free to join in with that. So talking about secrets, our text today talks about a secret. Now, if you were to be told that there was a secret that you could know that was truly a game changer, what do you think that that might be? A secret that could transform life, a secret that would actually shift significantly the way that the world operates, transforms life into something beautiful. And our text reveals a secret along those lines. Jesus had a secret to tell. And the Apostle Paul in our text today tells us about it. Now, in our text, it doesn't use the word secret. It actually uses the word mystery. And, and so they're, they're used kind of synonymously here. They're used in very similar ways. It's not something, when we talk about, oftentimes we use the word mystery to refer to something that's very strange or something that that's, uh, we can't quite fathom. That's not the sense of what's being said in our text here today. Rather, this idea of mystery, and, and we're going to use the word secret, is because it actually refers to something that wasn't known that now has been revealed and can be made known. So it was a secret, it was a mystery that we didn't know, and now it is made known. So there's a secret in our text. Verse 3 says, Surely you have heard, this is Paul saying it, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, was given to Paul, for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So God says, I've got this mystery. I've got this secret. I'm going to give this to you so that you can begin telling it to other people. Who doesn't love finding out about a good secret? My dad loves to tell me that when I was a little kid at Christmas time, he would simply ask me, now what is it that your mom told you not to tell me? And immediately upon asking, I mean, I, I trusted my dad, so I was going to tell him and I would tell him everything that mom got him for Christmas. It's like a, an addiction, finding out a good secret. And, and I was, I guess, easy territory for my dad to find out the secret of his Christmas presents. In our text today, we have a secret that was hidden for a long time and now is made known. Paul goes on to say, verse 5, he says, This secret was not known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So it's been, it's been hidden for a long time. It was not known by people for many generations. And now God is making this secret known by the Holy Spirit to apostles and prophets, to the leaders of God's people in that time. God was sharing this with them to make known 
to the people. So, what's the secret? You're probably thinking, good heavens, let's, let's get to this already. Verse 6 reveals that. It says, this mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together in one body. With sh- they will be sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, that is a life-changing secret. It's huge. But we might be think, sitting here thinking, well, it's not all that earth-shattering. What difference does that have to make for me? This secret that says that all people, Jews and Gentiles, are both part of the people of God. They're equal. They're fully members of one body, one community. And, and, and so God is forming this community of people made up of all different stripes and flavors. Again, we might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Let's go back and remember the story just to kind of clarify this and as we begin to discover how it applies to our lives today. Because I really do believe this makes significant difference in our lives today. So if we remember the story, a quick history lesson. I'm repeating a little bit of what I've said the last couple of weeks. God creates people. He lives with them, but then they rebel against him. They say, we're going to do things our own way. We don't want to walk in your way. So there's distance. This relationship between God and his creatures was broken by sin, was broken by evil and rebellion. So God begins unveiling this plan, developing this plan to return the people back to himself, to restore that relationship. He says, I'm going to let you know who I am. I'm going to fix the mess that our world has ended up in. And so he picks this guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I'm going to give you a big family. I'm going to give you lots of influence. But the point is, I'm going to use you to bless all nations. You're the one through whom I'm going to make my plans known. And so his descendants become Israel. His descendants become the Jewish people. The particular people that God chose to make himself known to the world to carry out his plan. Now, God's original intent was to include other people in this. As I just mentioned, it was to bless all other nations, all other peoples. But Israel didn't live that out very well. They actually began to become very exclusive and very arrogant and very selfish in this. And there was this element that God gave them that to enter into the people of God, men had to undergo this this religious rite, this symbol of physical circumcision. But they took that and made that into a, a, a big barrier. And, and they had a lot of spiritual pride and arrogance in that. But then they still prepared the way for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, he reveals this secret, this huge step in God's plan. He died on the cross. He lived. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And then he says, so the good news, you can be forgiven for your sins. But it's also that I'm forming this new community where all people who place their faith in me, who give their allegiance to me, can become equal parts of this incredible global community. In verse 6, it says, This is the mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together of one body and sharers together in Christ Jesus. They will receive all of God's promises, just like the Jews So what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, it's super good news for me. I'm not a Jew. I am a a Gentile. Remember, this might be a strange word for us, but this is the term that they used back then for anybody who wasn't Jewish. So this is great news because it means that I can become a part of God's family. Church needs to be a place that is multicultural. This might not be easy for us as, as, as Mennonites. Now, uh, K- KZMC, we are a church of Mennonite background. 
Um, we have folks who come from various other backgrounds that don't have a historical line of, of being Mennonite, but a lot of us are Mennonites. I don't know for you um, how, how this feels if you're from a different background, and, and we welcome people of all different backgrounds. For Mennonites, we've often had a hard time thinking of the church as being multicultural. We've often thought that our way of life is is superior or the best. We've often thought, well, if people need to learn how to sing like us and eat like us and talk like us to really belong. Well, maybe we didn't actually say it, but we certainly behaved in such a way that communicated us, communicated that. And this text challenges that and says, no, 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 the church of Jesus needs to be multicultural, made of all kinds of different people. And so I ask, are we intentionally inviting people of other backgrounds, not just trying to make them like us, but embracing them and enjoying the new, unique culture that they bring to the community of faith? This idea of being a multicultural faith of Jews and Gentiles and, and, and Romans and, and Judeans and, and English and, and, and Chinese folks and Brazilian folks and Yugoslavian folks, all of these different backgrounds and Swahili folks, Tanzanian folks, this multicultural community, this is why we look to engage with people who are different than us. Our church has been forming a relationship with the Victorious Love Church in Thailand, in Bangkrachet, led by Ajahn, by pastor. Ajahn means pastor in Thai, by Ajahn Not. And sure, it's just one church in Thailand, but it's a small way in which we're broadening our horizons and learning what it means to be a multicultural church. And so we've got to ask these questions. Are we looking to connect with, to hear from, to be in relationship with different people from around the world or immigrants within our own neighborhoods? This is a huge part of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to save you from your sins. He didn't come just to fix your relationship with God. He did all of that. But then he wants to broaden that and create this body, this community, this global church family of all of his people made up of all different stripes and flavors, different cultural backgrounds. This was a huge step for God's plan at that time. It's a beautiful vision. This is the secret that's been revealed. So a while back, I was messaging with someone, uh, Facebook Messenger, and I mentioned to them, I said, you know what, like God's got a plan for you. He has things that he wants to do through you. There's some good stuff that he wants to be up to in your life and blessing other people. And this person said, yeah, but you have no idea what I've done. You don't, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what my life has been like. And I said, well, hold on. Okay, so you feel that way. That's, that's okay. But do you know the story of the Apostle Paul? And this individual said, well, no, actually not, not really. I said, all right, let me fill you in on this. The Apostle Paul, the guy who actually wrote the letter we're looking at today, he was a leader who led a movement to kill the earliest followers of Jesus. Paul was a murderer of Jesus' followers. Horrible, like just horrible, horrible sin, terrible evil. He was a bad, bad man. God gets a hold of his life, says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. And now I'm going to invite you to be a messenger on my behalf. I'm going to use you to reveal the secret. Now, Paul knew full well that he did not deserve to be able to tell people Jesus' new secret. He knew that. And we see it in his text. Verse 7, he says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. He said, it's only by God's grace. It's a gift from God. This is not something that I've earned, this privilege, this responsibility to speak on God's, God's behalf. It's a gift. We often think of God's grace as something that gives us salvation, that gives us eternal life. 
God's grace also applies to his call on you, just like it was for Paul, to be a messenger of this wonderful secret. Remember, when Brittany and I got engaged, we began to tell other people this great news. We didn't just keep it to ourselves. We wanted to invite other people to know this marvelous news. That's what God's inviting you to do. So like this person I was messaging with, you may feel all of these reasons why you don't measure up, why you're not good, at, good enough. You can say, well, I struggle with this, or I used to do that. And, and, and seriously, these are lies that the deceiver plants in your head and in your heart. He doesn't want you telling the secret. He doesn't want you telling this good news of, of Jesus. And so he wants you on the sidelines. And, and let's be honest, he's actually been super successful in that. It makes me sad. It grieves me to see how many followers of Jesus say, sweet, I've been saved, I'm with God, but now I'm going to stand on the sidelines because... I'm not capable, I'm not good enough to do what God is calling me to do. That's for other people, that's for super Christians. That's not a helpful way to view it. Paul says here, it's a gift of God's grace that we get to be messengers of this good news. And actually, as you move closer to Jesus in your faith, as you grow in your spiritual walk, you'll become more aware of how messed up you are. And Satan will try and say, he'll be like, all right, do you see how messed up you are? You can't do the stuff that God's called you to. As you move closer in your relationship with God, you will see how messy you are. You'll see more clearly how sinful you are. I, I enjoy mowing the lawn. I do not like trimming with the weed whacker. Uh, Brittany will attest to that. It's something I leave and I, I kind of put off and I put off. And, and there's been times where I've mowed the lawn and, and then I will, I will think, oh yeah, I got I to gotta trim the edges before I go to bed tonight. Put it off, put it off. It's like, shoot, it's getting dark. I get to this. So I, I do it. I, I, I trim. And it's just as, as dusk is falling, it's getting dimmer and dimmer that I, I finish up. And I do a quick look at my pants and have grass clippings on, do a quick little brush. And in the house I go. I'm in the house for five minutes. And Brittany's like, do you not see all the grass that you're dragging into the house? She's excellent at keeping her house tidy. I love that about her. I'm not as good at that. So she'll let me know. She'll, do you see the grass clippings you're dragging in here? And then in the full light, I look. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am super dirty. When you're in the light, you see your filth. When you're with Jesus, the closer you get to him as the light, the more dirty you will realize that you are. As I grow in my faith, I am becoming more aware of how um, harmful, how arrogant, how wrong some of my attitudes are. How harmful, how arrogant, how wrong some of my motivations are. And, and rather than letting those push me away from Jesus and what he's called me to, it's our call, and it's my hope that I, it's my hope that you will let your, this actually draw you closer to Jesus and say, all right, it's only by God's grace, it's only a gift that he would actually invite me to speak on his behalf. Please do not let Satan, do not let the deceiver sideline you with this news. Paul didn't. Paul went and spread this message. He told the good news, and that's what we, uh, we need to do also. I'm glad that Paul didn't step aside. Paul went on, verse 8, he said, Although I am the least of all of the Lord's people, the least, he said, I used to kill Christians. I'm the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. God has a secret that he's been making known and he's asking you to be involved in letting that secret out, in proclaiming the secret, in revealing the secret to the people around you. Now, going in a bit of a different direction, if I were to, if I were to show everybody how wise that I think I am, if I were to think that I was super wise and I, I wanted to let everybody know, how would I go about doing that? 
Well, I'd create a situation where everyone comes to me and sits down full attention to listen to what I have to say. I'd tightly control it so that nothing could go off the rails. I'd prepare and I'd rehearse an elegant, eloquent presentation. Well, maybe it would be elegant too. Elegant and eloquent presentation uh, for everyone to hear. I would make sure that nothing happened outside of my control. I would make sure that everything was perfect and planned and, 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 and to a T. And then I would begin and I would launch into this display of what I maybe thought that my wisdom was. Now, how did God decide to show how super wise that he is? Well, he handed it over to the church, his people. I'm pretty sure that's not how I'd have done it if I was him. God actually said, I'm going to have the church show how wise I am. I'm going to hand, hand this job off to them. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of complete control of what happens. You know, they've got free will. They'll operate um, according to what, what they decide to do. I'll empower them by the Spirit, but, but, but they have free will. They're a messy bunch, but they're going to live out uh, what, I've, what I'm laying out here, live out this secret. This is how I'm going to show everyone how wise I am. That's not the approach that I personally would have taken, but God in his wisdom, that's what he did. He said, you want to see how wise I am? Look at the church. Verse 10, it says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that means manifold means like multifaceted, the various, the, the many different forms of the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is how he decided to show all of the spiritual power. So all of the, all of the, uh, the spiritual um, beings in the heavenly realms. And God says, I want to show you how wise I am. I want to show you what I've done. So here is how you will know how wise that I am. And so he handed over control to a super messed up people. He said, look at those people of different stripes and different flavors from around the world. Look at them being community. Do you see how wise I am? Now, let's be honest. We're sitting here like, really? Like, I don't think the church really shows how wise that God is. Isn't the church of Jesus pretty messed up? Don't they get a lot of things wrong? Haven't they been done some pretty harmful stuff throughout history? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And the churches that Paul wrote this to, they were a messed up bunch. They had divisions over various um, strange secondary things that didn't really matter. They were pretty selfish and, and, and greedy. So all of, this is, all of this is true. The church is a messed up place. Why did God decide to show his wisdom through them? But if we take a step back, if we look at the big picture, the church of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world is hundreds of millions of people, all who have placed their trust in Jesus. Jesus is at the center, but the diversity is stunning. All of these different types of people, different ways of speaking, different ways of living life, different ways of raising their children, different ways of playing games, different ways of dancing and expressing their joy. Here are these hundreds of millions of people centered on Jesus. And the things that they have accomplished together as people of other cultures is stunning. It was through the leadership of devout followers of Jesus that slavery was abolished in the British Empire. People with strong, evangelical, fiery, passionate conviction that Jesus is their king, that said, hold on, this is wrong. We need to honor our African sisters and brothers. We cannot sell them as slaves. It's interesting now today around the world, uh, there, there are many, many, many different small 
ethnic tribes around the globe. They're, they're, they're on the margins of society. They're in the, in the backwoods. They're, they're very, very separate. And, and, and they have their own distinct culture. They have their own distinct language. But, but they're constantly under pressure of capitalistic forces, under pressure of the dominant society to be overwhelmed by the economic systems, overwhelmed by English or Mandarin or, or Spanish or Portuguese they're constantly under pressure to be overwhelmed. But it's followers of Jesus who enter in and they say, we will walk alongside you in preserving your language and heritage. And so they translate the Bible in the native tongue. They don't just say, all right, well, we'll teach English, which actually would probably be easier because in a lot of these other languages, they actually have to translate or they have to form a whole new vocabulary and alphabet. But they step in, they say, we're going to honor you as sisters and brothers in a different culture and help you sustain the uniqueness, the beauty, the diversity of who you've been created to be. There's something called the Lasan movement. Now, now I'm a bit of a church nerd, I guess, in this. But what it is, is it's they have gatherings every number of years and they pull together Christians from all around the world and they sit around tables and they hash out what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus in this time. They hash out plans to be faithful to the gospel, to bless the world together. And they have to have all these different interpreters and, and it's just like the amount of organization to do it in a way that honors all of the different people groups, all the different languages, all the cultures is incredible. But these are things that the people of God are doing to show that the Christian church being the people of God is made up, not just of one ethnic group, but of many different ethnic groups, equal people of one body. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. We're far from perfect, but it's incredible if you take a step back and you look at what Jesus has done in creating this family, saying, I've saved uh, people from sin, I've reconciled them to myself, now I'm reconciling them to everybody, to one another, throughout the world when Jesus is at the center. So, in conclusion, Jesus had a secret. That secret was that he was joining Jews and Gentiles and then all other cultures together into one body. He invites you to join in the secret and then to share the secret, to let it be made known. And we see how God, how wise God is when we see this play out throughout the world. So what does this mean for you? First of all, I want to invite you to celebrate it. Look what God has done. He has welcomed us as Canadians into his family. I live a long ways away from where Jesus grew up. I eat different food. I talk in different ways. The way I live is vastly different from the way Jesus lived. But God welcomed us into his family as, as a Canadian kid in the, in the 20, 21st century. I get to be a full participant in this family of God. I'm so glad that God made this secret known. This is marvelous, marvelous news. It's, I mean, it's a game changer. It really, it really is. The second thing that I think we ought to consider is an invitation to jump on board with this vision that God has. He wants you to share this secret with the world. He wants you to share this secret with the world. What could be more marvelous than more and more people joining into this, this community, this family, saved by faith through Jesus, forgiven for our sins, given a hope, given a future, given promises, but then joined together as different people in one family. We're doing an alpha course online in the next couple of weeks. That could be a great first step. Invite somebody. Uh, check out our social media accounts, follow the, the church emails that are being sent out uh, to learn more about Alpha. But basically, it's creating a safe space where people have spiritual conversations, um, seeking the meaning of life. Who is one person that you could invite for that? This could be an excellent way of applying this text and be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to share this secret. 
And the third piece I want to call you to is to engage with other cultures. Look to hear stories of other believers around the world. Take part in our partnership with the Victorious Love Church in Ajahnat in Bangkrachet, Thailand. Engage with other uh, believers, other, and, uh, other neighbors, whoever you know around you. There are, are folks uh, who have come from other countries, immigrants, refugees. Get to know them, sit with them, eat their food, love them, honor them. This is a part of God's vision for humanity. When Brittany and I lived out in, in British Columbia for a number of years, we, we visited a church in Abbotsford, Abbotsford, BC. It was called the Life Center. And this church was intentionally multicultural. It was fascinating. They, they started out maybe like five years before we were there. And we just visited the one Sunday. They started out five years earlier and they said, we want to be multicultural. So on a given Sunday morning, this is just an example, but there'd be a song in Swahili. And then someone would read the scripture text in German and it would have English translated at the side because that was kind of the dominant overarching um, language. But they would have all these different expressions. And then they would have a poem in Yugoslavian. And then they would have some Caribbean dance. And they said, this is a display of the kingdom of God. This is God's heart. We're going to live this out. Now, it was super cool. It was fascinating to be there. Now, it might not be what God calls us to here. Let's be honest. Huron County isn't super culturally diverse. But there's no question there are people of other cultures around us. There are people who like things that are different than us. What does it look like for us to embrace them, to welcome them into fellowship, and create church as a space where we don't just expect them and their cultural preferences to conform to us, but where we invite them to share what it means in their own cultural realities to follow Jesus, to live life. So we see today in our text this great secret that Jesus has shared. I love it that he's creating this global community of people of all different stripes and flavors. And so I invite you to participate in this secret.